0: I guess most of you are privy to what happened with Pastor this past week. Um, went for a visit with his daughter and grandchildren in Colorado and ended up rushing his little girl to the hospital. Um, can't imagine that. So please, like Brother Jim said, uh, be in prayer for Pastor this week. I had a message Prepared as of Wednesday, and Caroline Doral spoke Wednesday night and set me on point about something different. Thursday morning, I was uh, flipped upside down about what I'm going to do. So, this morning, I want to talk to you about the idea of how are you building you, is what I want to talk to you about. it's been a number of years ago. My wife and I, when we lived in Missouri, we decided that we didn't like our deck that we had on the back of the house. It was uh, a shanty type deck. It, it was, uh, as we say, janky. It was janky. Okay. Um, the deck was not in good shape. We we enjoyed having a house full of company. We'd enjoyed having people over after church on Sunday nights. We still did church on Sunday nights at that location. And uh, you know, if you had 20 people in your home and 10 of them wanted to go sit on your deck, I wasn't so sure that the deck would last. So we decided that it was time to upgrade. And when we wanted to build this deck, I found out that you know what? There's something that you have to do first. If you've ever been in construction, there's something that you have to do first before you can do any type of addition or anything onto a home that changes a home's value. Do you know what that is? Get a permit. You have to get a permit and the, the city of Cape Girardeau, Missouri required that we get a permit in that particular instance and what they required from us is they wanted us to draw out a sketch of what we were going to do on the back of the house there. So we did and you know we, I told them where we were going to pour the piers and everything and how big it was going to be, how we were going to attach it to the home, all of that. Well actually I did not do that, I'm taking credit for it. Kara drew it out on the internet or drew it out on the computer And that's what we submitted. Thank God for a wonderful wife. Um, But, you know, after you poured the piers, then they had to come out and inspect the piers to make sure that they were placed where you said they were going to be placed. Has anybody been involved in construction? Yeah. Uh, Because of the job that I have now, I spend much of my day in communication with the city of Montgomery, the city of uh, Birmingham, the city of Tuscaloosa, the city of Northport, Chasing permit issues. Um, spend days doing that. But there are people, and the only reason that these municipalities do this is because they want you to be able to build the structure um, so that, uh, how can I say this? They, they want you to do this so that the worst of situations that come along, they know that your structure is going to be sound and going to be solid. They want you to be structurally sound under the worst situation. And people have been known. I'm not saying there's anybody in this congregation this morning that has done this. But there certainly have been people that have been known to build without getting the permit. Um, But usually that's because people wanted to skimp on the materials. They didn't want to do what the city relied on. or uh, uh, um, What am I trying to say? Required required them to do. It's not far from what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want, it's in the same vein of what I'm going to talk to you about. I told you what I wanted to speak to you about this morning is how are you building you? As strange as that may sound, I want you to ask yourself, is my building up to code? Is, is How are you building your life is what I want you to examine this morning. Um, What type of materials are you putting inside of your life to um, build? I I want you to turn with me, if you will. I'm going to try to be quick. I've got a lot to say. And those of you that are here on Wednesday nights, you'll be glad to know that my wife did set a timer on my little watch to go off. A few Wednesday nights ago, I had something I wanted to say. (laughs) And. I didn't have near enough time to get what I wanted to say out. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and that, that's kind of the way this morning is. Um, but, again, thank God for a, a wife that uh, knows about technology. 1 um, Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to go. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. I like the NIV. Some of you don't care for the NIV, but it'll blend nicely. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is... If you talk to me, I'll get done quicker. <laughs> there we go. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold... "'Silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, "'their work will be shown for what it is "'because the day will bring it to light. "'It will be revealed with fire, "'and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. "'If what he has built survives, um, "'the builder will receive a reward. "'If it is burned up, the builder will suffer only loss, "'but yet will be saved.' Even though only as one escaping through the flames. If you look, if you back up and you you, you kind of do a, a flyover of this portion of scripture here, the apostle Paul is actually talking about the leaders of the Corinthian church. Um, don't divorce the context of what is going on here. The Apostle Paul's talking about the leadership of the Corinthian church, and he's saying, No one of you leaders is a superstar in their self. If you back up. A good many verses before that, it talks about how we are all one body. You know, the eye can't say to the hand, the hand can't say all that. We're all part of one body, and what Paul's telling the Corinthian church here, the Corinthian leadership, is that, or not the Corinthian leadership, but he's telling the Corinthian believers, that not myself, not Apollos, not anybody is more of a superstar than the other person. We're all part of the body. I want you to realize. First, when we start talking about this, that any structure that you talk about is only as strong as its foundation. Some of you that are in building the building industry are going to know that. Any, any building that you want to put up is only as good as its foundation. And if you're a note taker, take this down. There are two sure ways to destroy a structure. And this is going to be Uh, relevant not only in in, in building, it's also relevant in your family, it's relevant in your profession, it's relevant in your relationships with each other. If you want to destroy anything that is built, the first thing you can do is you can tamper with the foundation. In your relationship, that foundation is trust. Go playing with the trust and see how long your relationships last. So if you want to destroy anything, tamper with the foundation. The second thing, if you want to destroy a structure, build with inferior materials. Cheap out. Try to have a cheap relationship and see how it lasts. Scripture goes on to say, he said, but what is built, if it's built with cheap materials, the person will survive, but he's only going to survive as one escaping the flames. Has anyone had a house fire? Hopefully you didn't lose everything, you may have, I don't know. But that's a reference to someone who has escaped like coming through a house fire. Everything that they had, that they built their life upon, that they they worked their life off for, I I guess is what I should say, what they worked their life for was burned up and lost. It's It's a good word picture that the Apostle Paul uses here. So... You know, I talked about this a few Wednesday nights ago. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I want you to understand something, that there is a day that is planned and there is, not, there, there is a day planned for you to have an engagement with God, and there is not one thing that you can do to sidestep that day. You can't call in sick. You can't have a friend go in for you. You can't call in and say, I quit. There is a day that you are destined to meet Jesus, and you're going to be bowing your knee. There's no flex time that you can use. Every person, every person, think about that, every person, every king, every president, every magistrate that there's ever been, every celebrity that you may follow on Twitter, every criminal, every ruler, every atheist, every scoffer at the gospel, every believer that sits in here this morning, every disciple, every corporate executive, even Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas someday the people that Jesus had to stand in front of. One day, those same people are going to have to stand in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and bow a knee and say that He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, to glory for, or the glory of God forever. So what I want you to do this morning, this is going to be a little bit unorthodox what I'm going to do, and it's going to make some of you uncomfortable. Imagine that. But I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable, but just work with me, Okay. My brain doesn't think like a normal brain. I want you to take a field trip with me, if you will, um, from Tuscaloosa this morning. And I want you to imagine that you've just walked into the grand ballroom of heaven. You're in this huge facility. And I want you to try to wrap your mind. I love, whenever I read scripture, I like to sit and think and try to imagine. But I want you to think about, you're getting ready. You were just greeted by Gabriel. And he says to you, he says, everyone is here and we're waiting for the king of kings. You're about to be ushered into the banquet hall where you're about to join for the marriage supper of the lambs. Lamb, not lambs. Lamb. And he tells you, he says, you need to get your gifts ready that you're going to give to the king. This is the most beautiful place that you can imagine. I want you to think about the sheer amount of numbers of believers that there have been over the centuries and over the the, um, millennium. We're not talking about a room with 10,000 people. We're talking about billions and billions of people. The room is so grand, so enormous that you can't see the other end, but yet the detail of the room is so spectacular that every little stone, every little carving, every little turning is distinct and jumps out at you. The, the, the doors to the room are as big as a city-sized skyscraper. This place is enormous, and it's just rows and rows and rows and rows and rows, just as far as you can see. Now, in my mind's eye, according to Scripture, everyone that you're going to see, and this may not be good theology, this is Paul's rendition, Okay? In my mind's eye, everyone's going to have a sack. You see all these people that are carrying around a sack. And off in one corner of this room, there's a huge pit, much like what you would have in the backyard if you like to play in fire like we do at our house. We're going to call it an incineration pit. Everyone has a sack, and you see that there's a stream of people go into this incinerating pit, and they'll go over, and they'll take the sack, and set it down on the incinerating pit. Flames will come out of the incinerating pit, and it'll burn up what's in the sack, and people will collect what comes out. And you realize that what is in the sack of each person is what their life represents, what they've done with their life. So you take your sack and go over to the the pit. You go through the motions. You set it down. Flames burst out. You, You collect your um, um, jewels that you're going to give to the king the contents of what was in your sack and you um, follow the procession back to the banquet here's where I want to get to this morning you're, you're, you're enjoying your time there in preparation for the marriage supper of the lambs Lamb. I keep saying lambs. One lamb, okay? (laughs) One lamb. Um, And out of nowhere, you you hear... Anybody ever been involved in an earthquake? I've been involved in an earthquake. I remember one time when I was in junior high, happened in the morning, they called it uh, New Madrid Earthquake. I don't remember. It was back in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Standing at the end of one hallway in Scott City, Missouri... Uh, for the school. I was standing in the hallway of the, the, the uh, school and we heard a boom, several big booms. It sounded like dynamite going off. And I looked down the hallway and the lockers started doing this. The ceiling started doing this. It wasn't a huge earthquake, but it was big enough that it shook everybody up and they had, I don't know how many tremors that followed. But you're in this ballroom and you hear this big boom and then another boom and then another boom. And then the doors to this place swing open. Um, out of nowhere, this guy comes through the, the, the doors. And you realize that standing there is the Apostle Paul. Um, there are certain men in the kingdom of God that carry great weight. I hope that you've been fortunate to be involved with a man or a woman that I don't know, they just seem to operate with a different intensity. They, they seem to walk under a different drumbeat than the mainstream. I've, I've had the good fortune to meet many of these people. But there's certain people in the kingdom that seem to carry great weight, and these are the people that ordinary people like myself look to with a holy envy of sorts, not in a bad way. But they inspire the knuckleheads like me and other people to go further than we would have gone before. And, and you know, they are the group of witnesses, if you will, in our lives that cheer us on. They, they achieve this status of uh, kind of a heavenly notoriety, if you will, and, but yet some of them are the most meek people that you will ever meet. Um. Because they, they achieved this because they spent time in their closets, and they, they forsake they forsook all to follow. everything they had was rubbish, they gave it, they, they, their life is spent like a, an offering a, a drink offering that's been poured out, they're just empty, and they want to be full of Jesus that's how these people are. But the apostle Paul walks into the banquet room like he owns the place now. I follow a lot of biblical archaeology and things like that, and you're going to be interested in this. Did you know that here recently, get the picture ready, don't put it up just yet, but here recently, based on the writings of the early church fathers, they took descriptions of the Apostle Paul and gave it to a uh, sketch artist at one of the most prestigious places in Los Angeles, or Las Vegas, I believe, Gil Grissom was the name of the guy that um, some of you are going to know who I'm talking about here. But anyway, put that picture up. They found out that this is what, jo- uh, what the Apostle Paul looked like <laughs> right here. This was since I was a child. And I, was <laughs> I told you it's going to be unorthodox. Okay. Since I was an early believer, every time I read the writings of the Apostle Paul, All I hear is John Wayne. He's raw boned. He's rough. Um, Personality bigger than life. But I want you to imagine you, you can cut that picture off. I want you to understand whenever I'm coming to you this morning talking, this is what I see in the Apostle Paul. I'm a huge John Wayne fan. Um, In fact, I wanted a name, I believe it was Tucker Rooster for Rooster Cogburn. So the Apostle Paul shows up at this joint. He walks into this banquet hall and he walks straight up to Jesus and he says, it's been a long time, hasn't it, Jesus? I spent my whole life chasing you. Jesus, can I have a few of your angels to come in and come outside and help me? I've got a few things I want to give you. Sure, Paul. Calls off a few angels. They go out and see what looks like a caravan of things that the Apostle Paul is bringing. And I've just, I've said here, the entire book of Acts... When Caroline started preaching on Sunday, the entire book of Acts, I hear this voice. <laughs> I'm not saying I hear voices. I, I hear this voice of, he says to Jesus, he said, you remember how you got my attention? And if you take notes, this is in Acts 9, Acts chapter 9. I'm not going to read much. But Saul, the Christian killer, the Christian torturer, the intimidator, Of everyone that was in the way, and I don't mean you're in the way, I mean you're in the way of Christ, the Bible says that he was breathing venomous threats. He was chasing these people like dogs to exterminate them because they seemed to be a great blight on the Jews. Then Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13 were sent off and they went to a place called Cyprus. It was an island. And while they were on that island, they ran into the governor's personal Jewish sorcerer. His name was Elymas. Um, And Paul would say, Elymas was a man that perverted the ways of God. He'd blame things on God that God didn't do. And Paul knew that if the light of God was shown on that situation, that the governor, and the governor gave his life to Christ, that the deceit of the ways of Elimus would come to light and he would lose his job as the governor sorcerer. So Paul rebuked him. He said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I imagine this long, bony finger. And and the Bible says that Elymas became blind. And the Bible goes on and shows that whenever Elymas was struck with blindness, it just added fuel to the fire of the gospel there in Cyprus. And it just added validity to the message that Paul and Barnabas were preaching. And Paul said to Jesus on that day, he says, hundreds of people got saved glory to God I had a pretty pretty uh, structured and rigid Pentecostal upbringing so uh, God was pronounced God and sometimes it was got uh, but from there Paul and Barnabas they went on to Antioch to a synagogue and uh, during the Middle of the meeting at the synagogue, I imagine Paul would say something like, Jesus, I stood up and testified concerning the faith. We weren't sure how it would go. But we got an invitation to come back the next week. And whenever we got there, (laughs) the whole city was there. Scores of people got saved, Jesus But you know what? Every time that the Lord shows up in a location, and every time God does something just out of the box, it upsets religious people. (laughs) And it upset those religious people. So they got run out of town. From there, Paul and Barnabas, they went on to, um, some people call it Lystra, some people call it Lystra. Lystra, Lystra, and Derby. Um. Paul and Barnabas walked into town and they saw a crippled man. I should have wrote down the the, um, reference here. But Paul and Barnabas saw that there was faith in the man to be healed. And God used the brothers to heal the man that day. And then after that happened, something bad happened. They were mistaken for gods in that location. And the people, they wanted to make sacrifices to them. And then guess what? The Jews showed up again. Those religious folks. They showed up again. But this time, they were out for blood. And Paul's going to say to Jesus, Jesus, they they beat me, and they beat me, and they beat me, and they beat me, and they threw rocks at me, and they left me outside the city gate. For dead. And then there's a time that Paul and Barnabas parted company. Barnabas wanted to go back to all the places that they had already been. And it sounds like Paul wasn't received in some of those places too well, right? But anyway, Barnabas wanted to go back. Is that right? Barnabas wanted to go back, yeah. And see how all the believers that had converted, how they were coming along. And Paul's gonna say something like, I didn't have a problem with that. It's just he wanted to take John Mark along. What a mama's boy. (laughs) Why would I wanna take him whenever he deserted us on our first mission? That can all be found, not that exact way that I just said it. It's all found in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. So, you know what? Paul and Barnabas did split. Paul takes Silas. Barnabas goes on with John, Mark, or whoever it might be. From there, Paul and Silas go to Philippi. So Paul and Silas, they come into Philippi. They don't have a lead, if you will, of where to go. So they went to the riverside to pray. And they're sitting on the riverside. Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 says that there was a lady by the name of Lydia. And I'm just trying to imagine how this might have happened. Paul's sitting on the riverside, dangling his feet in the water, however it might be. And this beautiful lady walks up who is well off. Paul looks up and says, well, hello, Sister Fancy Pants. Who are you? Well, I'm Lydia. Well, who? Tell me about yourself. Well, I'm Lydia. I'm from, I don't know if it was Thyatira or wherever she was at, but she was a businesswoman that dealt highly in what they called the color purple. So, linens that were made out of the color purple. She was a businesswoman, but that day she got saved and she got baptized according to Scripture. So, I can imagine in this big sea of people when Paul's standing in front of Jesus, Lydia! Lydia! Are you here? Back in the corner, Paul, Paul, thank you for sharing the gospel with me. But it wasn't all um, peaches in Philippi because there were some issues that Paul and Silas ran into. They, they went and um, they were approached by a fortune teller. And she followed them and mocked them everywhere they went. And I can just see Paul Preaching his mind out at the synagogue or on the the, the the steps of the the city hall or wherever it was. And she was a slave that had this demonic spirit that helped her be able to tell the future. It was not from God. And everywhere that Paul would say, and Jesus said, and she'd say, and Jesus said, you know, she was just mocking them all the time. So I can just imagine short-fused Paul in the middle of his delivery, turning around and saying, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Come out from her unclean spirit. And the spirit did. But man, it made people mad. Because when she wasn't able to tell the future anymore, The owner became furious because that was his moneymaker right there. So they had Paul and Silas beaten and stripped and they threw them into the Philippian jail. Do a little study on the Philippian jail and it was a nasty, nasty facility. I've seen different people try to depict it and they said that there was a trough, if you will. First off, they were bound up above their heads, sitting over a trough, if you will. And they said that there was rats that would chew at their toes. Um, Paul and Silas were taken into this situation. After they come to consciousness, because they had been beaten so bad, they wake up. Paul says, Silas, are you still alive? Silas says, yes, brother Paul, I am. Boy, your temper got us into a bad one that time. told you if you didn't get a grip on that, Paul, that something like this was going to happen. You know, this is probably the reason, Paul, that Barnabas left you. I'm just telling you, I see Scripture totally different whenever I read it. But anyway, with his eye beaten shut, blood running out of his ears, rats chewing at his toes, sitting in their own filth, Paul says, Hey, Silas, I got an idea. What's that, Paul? Let's sing. (laughs) They really hit you hard, didn't they, Paul? (laughs) I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lead on Jesus' name. Then he gets on. Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground sinking sand. All other ground sinking sand. Now I can, I don't know, I want you, let's just join Paul and Silas in the jail right now and sing, I love you, Lord. Join me if you will. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you. O oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King. Let it be, and let it be a sweet, sweet sound. One more time. And let it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And you know, us as people make promises. And we intend to keep promises, but God doesn't make promises that He can't keep. Scripture says that He would inhabit the praises of His people, and that's what God did that day. Those men lifted up a praise to the king, and it got the attention of heaven. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like to have fun, but I can imagine God says, Shh, everybody be quiet. Come here, angels. Listen to that. Gabriel looks at him and says, What is it? That's singing. They're singing to me. I got to go meet this. I got to go see what's going on here. God invaded the prison. The walls began to shake. The doors came open. They came off their hinges, and the jailer realized that everybody had been set free, and he pulls out his sword to throw himself on his own sword. And Paul says, Don't. We're all here. The jailer got saved. The jailer's assistants got saved. And in that banquet room, I can just hear Paul calling out the names of the jailers. Johnny, are you here? Sloan, are you here? Ashley, Are you here? They're all going to answer. You get the the point. All this is in Acts chapter 16. Kara asked me how long I was going to preach it. I said, I'm preaching the whole book of Acts. (laughs) But the Bible says that God did extraordinary things. I mean, there was even one time that he took this right here, handkerchiefs. He preached, take the sweat. People would take the rags from him. Go home and put it with their sick person, and they would be healed. On the way to Rome one time, he was on a ship and the ship had a, it got involved in a storm and it wrecked and you know, I mean, the the story goes on and talks about how he was building a fire and a viper came out of the fire and bit him on the hand and he just shook it off into the fire. But the rest of that story is that while he was on shore, um, God used Paul and Silas to heal the governor's father on that island. And after he did that, then he began to pray for every sick person on the island. And they were all healed in Acts chapter 28. One by one. Where's my sack at? One by one. I got a 10-minute warning. All right. One by one, Paul's going to reach into his bag and throw it to the king. You're going to watch. We're all going to be witness to this someday. Maybe, maybe not just exactly like what I'm saying here, but you understand what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus is going to accept the gifts. He's going to say, great job, Paul. He's going to say, is there anything else whenever Paul empties out his bag? Paul's going to say, there's one more thing, Lord. What's that, Paul? I gave my life for you. We're all going to be witness to this, so I want to address the elephant in the room, if you will, that is often looked to as the terribly taboo. Brandon, where you at, brother? Come on, come on and join me. Come on, team, come join me. Um, there's this terribly taboo question that we don't want to uh, approach. But what I want you to do is think about, on that day, what have you built? What what, what have you built? What have you spent your life accumulating? What are you going to be able to cast at the feet of Christ? Your pastor, if he's able to come back this week, he's going to begin talking next week, starting next week, about legacy this month. I want you to get yourself in the frame of mind right now. What is my legacy going to be? What have you built? What have you expended all of your resources and all your time and all your energy building? Are are you going to be able to pull out of your sack Alabama football? Are you going to be able to pull out Auburn football? That That doesn't stack up a lot. I I could be in the same thing. Mizzou football, it doesn't do a lot. It doesn't get you anywhere whenever you're standing in front of the eternal. But then I I want you to be careful with what I just said because I don't want you to think, um, I I don't want you to compare yourself to others. The Bible says that it's unwise for us to compare ourselves to one another. Our method of comparison needs to be against Scripture and not man. Nor do I want you to think this morning while I'm talking to you that it takes good works to gain salvation. No, it takes the work of Jesus to gain salvation. But I want you to understand that somebody has to do good works for somebody to hear the gospel. I believe it was Philip dealing with the Ethiopian eunuch. How will they know if they don't have anyone tell them? That's where you are part of the chain, part of the link. And my, my illustration this morning certainly is not for me to make people feel condemned, but is more to draw focus into the fact that God can take Anybody that is willing to yield, he will use a yielded, willing vessel. And I guess my bigger question is, is that you? Are you yielded? Are you willing? See, whenever you get to heaven, and I'm, I'm pretty well done here, whenever you get to heaven, I believe that there's going to be two questions, and this is just Paul. Whenever you get to heaven, there's going to be two questions. He's going to look at you and say, What legal right do you have to enter into heaven? And after you answer, My faith in the Son of God, the blood of Jesus, then he's going to say, How many people did you bring with you? I believe that once the gospel is given, that there's time to respond. And this morning, for the next few moments, if you wanna, if you wanna respond in some way and tell God, I'm giving my all to you. Take me, God. Use me as your puppet. Do what you want to through me. I yield myself to you. Would you join? Would you join right up here? Please move this way. Brandon, lead us in that. And I just want you to love on God and romance the Holy Spirit right now. And we'll close out in just a few moments.